What's up, everybody? This is the show. I'm your host, Rob Blatt, and welcome to the Adult Nerd Podcast. First, thank you for listening. I want to thank you for listening as we start this show together. If you're listening in the first few days or the first few weeks as this show is released, you're probably a friend or a family member of mine or one of the guests. And for that, thank you for downloading and taking the time to listen. Episode one, everybody has a passion. I've got a good friend on the show today, someone that I wanted to start this with. We're talking about projects and how as you create projects in your life and as you go move forward, you never really leave them behind. You, you know, uh, a good way to finish something is to have a deadline, but ultimately uh, projects are never fully done. And we talk about that a lot as my guest uh, has jumped around a little bit professionally and in terms of education. However, the thing that we discuss throughout here is the thread that you have that goes through everything that you've done and what that means moving forward, never really letting go. And that's not necessarily a bad thing that you don't let go of a project or you never finish a project. You may release it, but as we discuss, you know, we go back to it, much like loading up an old video game and jumping into an old save how it can transport you to the mindset that you had going into that project, whether that be code or music or writing, whatever it might be. So enjoy the conversation. The introductions each week are going to be fairly short. Uh, I'm going to make a call right now. If you are someone who collects comic books and you have a great way that you have kept track of what books you've got, I have a, a somewhat of a, a sizable collection and no idea of what's in my long boxes outside of just kind of what I know that I've collected in my head. And I'm looking to find a way to catalog them. I haven't found something good yet. I would love it if I could have that be connected to a database um, that I can access on my phone or on my machine. I don't care that it's that it's free or it's paid. That doesn't matter as much to me. But right now, the thing that's difficult is actually keeping track of everything that I've got. I'm trying to avoid an Excel spreadsheet um, I think that's for the best for everyone, but I have a feeling that I may not have an option for that. But if you've got something, let me know. Twitter is uh, Rob Blatt, R-O-B-B-L-A-T-T, uh, or you can email me. It's uh, Rob at robblatt.com. The Adult Nerd email is not set up yet. Uh, the Adult Nerd Twitter account is is in limbo right now as uh, I forgot the password and no longer have access to an old email address. I've rambled long enough. I want you to enjoy this week's episode and enjoy this week's interview. Thank you. One note before we actually start, and that's um, the audio quality on my side is uh, not up to my own standards. However, uh, I didn't feel it was necessary to go back and re-record everything that I said after the fact in this interview. With that being said, now you can enjoy. This week's nerd is Gavin St. Hours. Gavin, welcome to the Adult Nerd. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Rob. Episode one, I definitely wanted to start with someone that I've not only podcasted with before, but probably has started the most projects that I've been jealous of, of anyone that I know. <laughs> jealous of? Wow. Yeah, yeah. So almost 10 years ago, we met for the first time at PodCamp Montreal. Yeah. 
an offshoot of the bar camp movements that were happening, and I assume still happen, although I'm not up to speed on them. And we met and decided for NAPOD POMO, which is National Podcast <laughs> Post Month, we were going to try to get through the month of November that year of uh, 2008 by recording an episode every single day. Yeah. And, and releasing it. Um, and we were unsuccessful. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, it, what a journey. Yes, and we, we tried that, I think for a few different years, we made an attempt to uh, to get that done and failed each year. However, the show, uh, which was called Put It In Your Ears, which still somewhere on the internet exists, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, it's a classic. Over 140 some odd episodes, I believe, we started that project together. And so starting this project, I felt it was uh, appropriate to uh, start with you. Let's talk about some of these projects that you've undertaken the last few years. That's um, one hell of an intro also, by the way. Thank you. It means a lot to be there. Your first uh, first guest. I think this is, this is, I'm excited to hear this podcast, but probably starting with episode two, just because I'm still <laughs> weird about hearing my own voice all of these years later. You have produced podcasts. You have uh, developed and released apps. You have a book that is available on Amazon.com. Let's start with the book, actually, because I think that was kind of the first non-Rob project I was aware of as we yeah. were, were friends. Um, so you were, I mean, 10 years ago, what, what were you doing professionally 10 years ago? Oh, geez. Okay, so it's 2018, 2008. I was working. There was actually a good portion of 2008 at least the first half. All oh, right, yeah, I lost a job. That's right. Okay, it's all coming back to me. There we go. I was I was pretty mismatched for every job I had uh, in in the in the sense that I was just bored and hated my jobs. I, I worked with some very nice people and f- fine people, but I think I had I had started a job where I was I was hired on to do some web development. Mm-hmm. but um, the people who had hired me had kind of interviewed me for one job. And then when I was brought on for, you know, actually showed up and started going to work that the, the job turned out to be something totally different um, that it was a bit more of like, so, uh, so you have really good skills with uh, drilling down into Google analytics and putting together some analytics reports and marketing strategies and, and, and stuff for, uh, con- they started saying things like conversions and conversion rates. And, uh, and they were talking to me only on my first day on orientation of this job, like a- as though I, I, I knew all of this stuff, which I, I didn't, I mean, I was aware of, I can sure I can put your Google analytics tags into a, a site, but uh, someone else's always handles the data to figure out, you know, the, the magic formulas to actually make a company money. Mm-hmm. And it turned, <laughs> it turned out like, uh, gradually dawning on me. Oh, they're really expecting me to help them make a whole lot of money based on the, the analytics data that they get. And so I tried, I kind of said, well, I don't really know this stuff. And then it was a long pause and they said, well, I guess we can, we can, I guess you can learn maybe. And so it was very awkward because I thought it was going to be something. And it was this very pro, I was only there for a few months. uh, And it was this prolonged stretch where we both realized people were, we were both realizing it was a terrible fit. But again, everybody I was working with was super nice. It was just 
incredibly awkward uh, on the day I got fired. And this is the nicest way I've ever been fired. This poor woman, uh, she's, she'd never fired anyone before. In, in Mount Vernon in Baltimore, they have all these old 1920s mansions that have either been converted into apartments or uh, businesses have taken over. But we're on one floor, and it's kind of an open floor plan, and there's no place to have a private conversation. And so she pulled me into the supply closet, and she was trembling. And uh, I don't, I just remember trying to reassure her that it was all okay, that it was going to be all right, that there's no You're hard doing the feelings. Hard lifting, the heavy lifting there. Yeah. And, and, and I just, I mean, it's got to suck to have to fire somebody. Uh, so that was early 2008. What the heck else happened that year? Oh, yeah. And then I started a job. I ended up temporarily working at, uh, for T. Rowe Price doing HTML emails. I don't want to call these, uh, I don't want to call these jobs, uh, necessarily dead end. I would. Um, but they, they certainly <laughs> weren't, yeah, they certainly weren't hitting where you wanted to be. I can tell you a quick story about the T. Rowe Price, um, job. Oh, please do. So they had a couple of different tiers of people working, and this was in their communications department. So you had people who were full-time employees of T. Rowe Price. I was working through um, some placement agency. So I was a contractor working through some company. It's hard to believe that no one thought about it and didn't do this on purpose, but there was a day that they had a big picnic it was beautiful weather and they had volleyball nets set up outside and it was catered but only full-time employees were allowed to go well i worked in this uh this first floor windows everywhere it was great we got all kinds of great light but the downside was on this day i'd say about 90 percent of everybody in this office was outside having a good time but because of some quirk in the hr policy anybody who's a contractor had to stay inside and keep working. So there was a small handful of us just watching everyone outside, enjoying themselves and having food and laughing. And, uh, <laughs> and then someone uh, came in to use the bathroom and saw us. I was like, do you guys want to, I can bring you some food. You want some food? Like, yes, we'll take food. And then the guy like left and never came back. Oh, God. And, I think that was about the time that I started thinking I should probably, maybe this isn't, isn't for me. The decision that you had to make to not only leave that job, but also you just kind of took a left turn completely going back to, you went back to school. Yeah. You made an enormous decision to scuttle everything up until that point and go in a different direction. Yeah, it was around that time. I had a bunch of friends of mine had were, were talking about a um, creative writing uh, MFA program at the University of Baltimore. And I was always, always into writing. Writing's always been one of my favorite things to do. And I figured this would be a great way to actually, I don't know. I don't know what it was. Just do more of it. I think I was craving the structure of it. Mm-hmm. it, it and it's a fantastic program. I'm s- so happy I did this. And this this actually became sort of a uh, a catalyst for a bunch of big decisions that I made uh, that ended up changing my life. Um, but it started with this the MFA, and uh, where I just got to do a lot of 
writing and I, I got to hang out with really cool, interesting people who are also writing, uh, poets, uh, visual artists, uh, short fiction writers and, um, you know, made a bunch of friends there. And, uh, I was working, I uh, probably had some other job at that point that I can't remember. Um, oh wait, no. Yeah. I remember because I ended up working for, uh, working at UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, uh, where I had a lot of, there was a lot of crossover between my MFA at University of Baltimore. They're all part of the University of Maryland system. And, um, but it was, it was cool because I got to work at a place where a lot of my colleagues were either teachers at this program or also students or alums of, of the program. And so that kind of, even though I was working, um, I was working full time and doing the MFA, the MFA was kind of this, th- this thread that went through everything. One of the things I, w- I was looking at was uh, not just e-publishing at the time. We called it e-publishing. Now we just call it, <laughs> you get a book, you read it on your Kindle. There's no, no qualifying. But it was interesting because that really wasn't super long ago. And um, people weren't quite sure about this whole Kindle and ebook thing. Is this really going to take off? Is this really going to be the future? And I just thought, hell yeah. I don't want to carry around. I love all of my friends who are writers. But when you have 20 friends that are writers, you don't want to carry around all of their books. And it just became like a practical thing. And then I got really interested in the technology behind it. And the Kindle had been released in 2008, I think it was. Or it was announced in 2008 where... Really? They had... Why did I think it was earlier? They had... Uh, it might have been 2007 oh. um, at, the, at the earliest. Because I, I was working for a newspaper in Manhattan when it was announced. The Kindle was brand new. No one knew how... Anything how it was going to be actually displayed on it or how it was going to be long-term. The Kindle was uh, released November 19, 2007. Ten years. Wow. That's, that's a full ten years ago for $400. Good. Really? God. (laughs) Essentially what you're talking about at that point, it was what, two years old. You're talking about publishing to this expensive gadget at the time. It was kind of cool because it was something that nobody at my school knew about or knew how to do. And there were people that were teaching digital publishing. And a lot of it was talking about, you know, setting up a blog, setting up a WordPress site, uh, and, and finding different ways to publish your writing to get people to read it and, and how to submit to <laughs> submit to publications online, which seems um, even silly to have to think about. But it was, it, w- it was really interesting. Um, and I had, had come from, you know, my, I was always interested in, in web development and, um, you know, podcasting, like we had been podcasting and, and everything technology. And it was really interesting to run into, um, a bunch of writers who really hadn't thought that, Oh, I need to somehow have some kind of an online presence. I mean, Twitter was maybe two years old at this point. So it wasn't, nobody had Twitter. It's like, are you on Twitter? And people would give me (laughs) stares. Like, what, what, why, why, what is this? Like every time I would bring up some kind of a technology in discussion, it would be like, oh, this is a thing I have to worry about now. Thanks, Gavin. Jeez. To some degree, when we're talking professionally and what you were doing, you're always pushing towards that leading and bleeding edge of what was what was brand new and what was commercially available at that moment. Wanting to be in that spot when something launches or in the early years of that. Yeah. And it's always been exciting for me too, when there's something new or it's, it's that I, um, 
like what with the with the Kindle or or, uh, or when you have this idea, you're gonna kind of get a glimpse of what something could be. That was always very exciting to me, and um, it was really interesting to dig into figuring out how to take a book um, that I had written for the MFA program and put it onto the Kindle. A big part of the program was also designing the print book, <clears throat> which had been part of the curriculum for, for years at that point, doing the, um, the book cover, doing the, the layout. And it was, it was really great because I, I got to take typography classes and really at least touch every part of the, the physical act of publishing a book. I, <laughs> I just had to add on this extra task of figuring out how to make a Kindle book. And at the time, the tools were pretty limited and, and the layout was pretty janky. And it was a lot of um, just experimenting with, I mean, it still can be. Uh, I still get books on the Kindle where, where layout issues are, are a problem. And it was really interesting to think about um, or try to figure out, right, why is that? laying out weird what's going on and i was kind of going through the act of debugging this thing but beyond that i was also thinking about uh different ways people could use uh technology to to interact with with stories and i had this idea it was like a choose your own adventure book but all the users would write pages and it would be kind of like half game half creative game half uh have a choose your own adventure interactive website. And I was kind of sketching out some ideas about it. And then I realized I have no idea how to do this, but this is something <laughs> that I want to do. And I talked to uh, one of my colleagues at UMBC who uh, was building, he was a software engineer who built this student portal for, for uh, where students can talk to each other. Um, all the, the on-campus groups, could um, have their own groups and pages set up. And it was it's an interesting thing because it's an idea that they were doing, <clears throat> excuse me, that have that has failed so many times before um, because students will largely just default to Facebook or the existing tools. But this was so tightly connected to um, student accounts and the student community. It was just a pleasure to use. And they, um, and so I was talking uh, to my colleague who was working on this and leading these students who were learning how to program and, and build this thing and fix bugs and add features. And I said, what are you using? What alchemy and magic is this? Because I, I need to learn this. And he said, oh, I, it's a thing called Ruby on Rails. I said, Ruby on Rails. This I need to check out. So I bought a couple of books on top of finishing <laughs> this MFA um, trying to learn. Oh, so you you started you started the <clears throat> development side of what you were doing while still in school and while still also working full time. Yeah, this was sort of, um, but this was kind of like the the germ of of the idea of what to do next. Right. And I I realized how deep this rabbit hole went, and I I need a lot of time to really learn how to fully wrap my head around these these concepts of of, of web development that. And then Ruby on Rails, this programming language, this framework that is written with it, and and how to build something that people can interact with, and 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 set up a server that will run it. And it's up to that point, I had, had been doing. I think um, I was building some WordPress themes. Was about as 
intense as my web development went. But, um, you know, I still, that was still fun. I liked doing that. I liked being able to create something that somebody could use and, or I could use on my, my own site and put something on the web. But this felt like a next step to get to. <clears throat> I'm wrapping up uh, the, this MFA. I have the book published. I have it on, on the Kindle. And, and what's next? What's, obviously, the question becomes, what are you going to do? You've, you have this education that you have now spent four years on, and you have a, <laughs> yeah. you have a book to show that you, uh, you are no slouch, and you have that, you know, you have work under you. The book did somewhat, if I recall from, you know, a number of years ago, the book did somewhat well. Uh, you know, you sold out of the paperbacks at first, I believe, and then the Kindle version was doing well. And so what do you do with this new MFA? <laughs> so, uh, the short version is I, I'm, I moved to San Francisco and learned how to become a web developer. So, so hold on, <laughs> hold on. So you had, you had spent the, this time learning a craft, and I really want to talk about the decision to go to make another left turn. Like, do you remember making that decision to say, like, all right, I know I have done this and I know this is what I've spent X number of hours on or years or of my life. However, I think it's all pushing in this direction for me. I do. I can tell you exactly the moment. I um, It was right after I had wrapped everything. I was wrapping everything up with the, the MFA and um, I was I was in the position where I had a job at UMBC, the job had changed a bit. Um, and I was, I could tell that it was sort of the same pattern. I really like the people I'm working with. The job is probably not a great fit. Uh, and it just happened to coincide with the end of this program, the, the creative writing and publishing arts MFA at, at UB. And, um, and, and I was just kept thinking, all right, what next? Well, I was dating my girlfriend at the time, now wife, we were in a long distance relationship. She was down in Atlanta and I was in Baltimore and I was finishing things up and just thinking like, well, I, you know, I don't need to stay in, in Baltimore. What is it I want to do next? You, and, and, you have your future wife who lives a few thousand, maybe a thousand miles south of you. Yeah. And, and, and she and, and I were, you want to close that distance maybe, right? Exactly. That was, that was a big part of it. And we were both sort of in similar places with our careers where we knew that like, this isn't quite what it is we wanted to be doing. We didn't know what it is that the thing we really wanted to be doing was yet, but we both figured we should, you know, let's try something new. Let's, let's do, let's go someplace new together. Let's figure something out. Let's, but we didn't know exactly where or what that would be or what that would look like. We just knew that we wanted to push ourselves. We also wanted to be in the same city. We wanted to be together there was somebody I was following on Twitter. I just happened to be on Twitter. And if I hadn't been on Twitter in this particular, maybe 10 minute time frame, I have no idea what my life would, would look like now. It was someone on Twitter who I ended up becoming friends with, Mahern Park. He posted something to Twitter about, hey, I just got into dev boot camp. I'm going to go learn Ruby on Rails. And I thought, what, what is this dev boot camp? Ruby on Rails. The light goes off. (laughs) Yeah. What is is this? Open up the old Google machine. 
And Dev Boot Camp is now closed. It does isn't a thing anymore. These the wave of the programmer boot camps is, I think, kind of waning. But at the time, it was this startup in San Francisco, and they had a very lofty promise of uh, learn how to become a web developer in nine weeks. And I thought, well, that's kind of crazy. There's, there's, I don't, I don't, I don't know that that's possible. But you know, I'm not starting from zero here. I, I know a little bit of JavaScript. I know you've, you've uh, made some HTML emails in your day. I have cranked out some great table-based email templates with, uh, in, with all of the blandness of a corporate entity d- uh, could possibly desire, and. Um, and, but it, it seemed, it seemed really exciting. It was this idea of, and and uh, Sophia and I started talking about it. Well, why don't we? We're both into um, development. She was a, a a developer for a company. I don't know if she wants me to mention on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say a major cable news outlet based in Atlanta. Yeah. They keep yes, it nice living and in Atlanta. Nice, give it away. Nice and vague. Yes, <laughs> it's fine. She doesn't care. I assume we, we didn't have the jobs we wanted and we also didn't have really the skills we wanted. We wanted to learn more. We wanted to work places that were, we could uh, get pushed and, and learn a lot more. And so I looked at this thing and said, I think, I think I want to do this. I was reading about dev boot camp, and I think this is kind of the, I, I, maybe it's, I had just finished this, uh, <laughs> just finished the MFA. Let's do more school. And I, I guess I haven't really thought about it until I'm saying it out loud right now but there's something about just being completely immersed in the thing that you want to get better at and it seemed like this was a really cool weird startup very startup feel to it where it's like uh, just a bunch of crazy people put this thing together and like we don't know if it's gonna work let's try it it's an experiment you want to be a part of it and how immersed when you say immersed how immersed were you in this so this was, it was, it was really intense. It was, it ended up being about 12 weeks because we were so new to it, uh, that they were trying to figure out the curriculum and we were invited to stay on. Our cohort was invited to stay on for an extra three weeks. So it ended up being 12 weeks. So you moved to San Francisco, you moved into the boot camp, basically? Uh, I rented a house with, um, four other guys who were in this in in this cohort and um some so, people say silicon valley is not real but other people have different opinions yeah it's it so when the show silicon valley came out I'm like i think i've met all of these people for real <laughs> it is amazing but we lived we had this great house that we rented um i mean it was 24 hours a day for 12 weeks all we did was eat breathe sleep we dreamt in code it was intense so we would get up every morning we would walk uh through chinatown to uh where dev boot camp was and and it was just on the the second floor of this building where it was as san francisco as it could get it was it was kind of like 12 weeks of flailing and building things and breaking things and building things. And, um, and by the end we were kind of coming up with ideas and building these small web apps and sort of like mini startups on our own. And it was just, it was such a fun time to, 
take ideas like the and then and then I started building this idea that I had at my MFA this weird choose your own adventure thing built on rails I actually was able to build it and and then break it and spectacularly and then fix it and then build it again and it was just this really cool combination of these things that I had been doing for all of these years all kind of coming together in a really cool city but at the same time I was also writing I continued writing but well, yeah. So we had dev dev boot camp ended, and um, I wound up working for a company there for a few years doing um, web apps. I was a JavaScript developer. The cool thing about San Francisco is that they, it still has this great art scene. It's it's at the time was kind of getting priced out, which broke my heart. You know, I would go to readings, and uh, you have these tremendous writers. Uh, who would have stories, these heartbreaking stories about how the tech companies were ruining the city that they loved and had lived in for their entire lives. Sometimes they were like, you know, their parents had lived here, their whole family has lived there and everybody is getting evicted. How uh, dare you, Gavin? And how dare you? <laughs> exactly. So I'm in the back like, oh, yeah, these tech people, guys, they're the worst. I'm like, oh, no, I'm exactly the... Yeah, come into town for out these, of nowhere. Yeah, exactly, and then take these jobs and then rent apartments for way too much money, price everybody out. And, uh, yeah, so uh, Sophia moved um, from Atlanta. We moved together into a tiny one-bedroom apartment. You saw the apartment in San Francisco. How would you describe it? The thing that's missing from this that you haven't discussed is that you two wanted to get closer, and you moved 3,000 miles <laughs> west. You, yeah. You, the idea was to get closer, and you were just like, hey, so I'm going to go learn this stuff. Peace. I'm out. And then you go 3,000 miles <laughs> away for what – it's like Gilligan's Island. What started as a nine-week class that turned into three yeah. months. And so she eventually you, – you, you guys – you guys get together. It was, you know, it's standard first uh, first apartment together stuff. You know, you, yeah. one bedroom, a, li- a living room slash kitchen that blends <laughs> together. Yeah. Um, but so while you're there, you know, you have, I, you know, I, I had the, the pleasure of, of visiting with you guys and staying there. Yeah. Um, something that was always present throughout all this, which we haven't really touched for, for you, is music. Oh, yeah. So you've been a musician for... You know, it's it's unfortunate for the, us saying this decades, um, and I have as well. The, the music that from the podcast that we did together, you had just kind of thrown me a few ideas. You're like, yeah, I wrote these things. Here's some stuff, and so you know, we so you wrote the music to the podcast mm-hmm. and um, had always been playing here and there. Um, I want to touch a a project that I uh, probably goes without mention for a while. Um, while we're kind of bouncing around a little bit, which is uh, at some point I get this insane message from you, and you you tell me about this project <laughs> that you're starting. Do you know what I'm where I'm going with this? I, so I don't I don't actually know which project you're talking about, but I so can't I get wait. this insane message, and you go, I, I want you to see something because I have an idea. I'm going to take the Matrix, oh! and I'm going I'm to write an album. <laughs> That corresponds with the visuals of the Matrix. Yeah, kind of like a Dark Side of the Moon to the Wizard of Oz, except on purpose. And to the, the Matrix, thing. yes. You were gonna, <laughs> and so you, you got. I mean, as far as I knew, you got one song kind of into the seven minutes or whatever it was mm-hmm. into the Matrix. But um, what 
what what was the the idea? It, I think I got about three songs into it until I realized like this is not easy. It's and way, that's it, the part <laughs> I want to discuss is not necessarily the starting it because mm-hmm. I, I think I think this far into the the conversation uh, people can get a feel for who you are and kind of the the immersion that you crave um, uh, creatively. But I want to talk about why you stopped. Oh, sure. It was something that I wanted to, uh, wanted to hear. Like, how come no one has done this? How come no one has <laughs> made a weird concept record that syncs up with a movie? It started really fast. And then I got, I think two or three songs into it. I, I was getting bored. If I'm getting bored with the way this sounds, everyone's going to get bored with it. And yeah, I guess after a while, I, I, I started putting my energy into other things, but it was, it started off strong and I felt like it just, it was, it was petering off, but it's funny that you mention it because the very short version is I was in San Francisco for a few years with Sophia. She and I moved back here together in, in Baltimore um, because, you know, prices are, you can, it's not insane. It's one heck of a <laughs> suburb to move to from San Francisco. I know. Yeah, Most people move to the East Bay. We moved to the East, 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 East Bay. The Chesapeake <laughs> Bay. The Far East Bay. <laughs> and since then, I'm, I'm working, I'm doing iOS development. I've, I've been doing development ever since um, San Francisco and software development. Um, working remotely, which is great. I get to work from home. In Baltimore, where things are way cheaper, and uh, you can actually do things like save some of your money, which is nice. Crazy thought. Crazy thought. Like these were we got married, have a house, all these things that you just can't do. I mean, you can get married, but buying a house is a little bit trickier in San Francisco unless you have. um, What's like the median house price in San Francisco is like three million dollars. The last I saw. That's intense. Yeah, just some throwing around money. It's Yeah. yeah, it's intense. But also, since I've moved back, I've um, started a new band with a friend of mine. At our last practice, we were talking about that Matrix uh, <laughs> concept, that idea. And uh, my friend Josh said, well, didn't the Matrix, isn't 2018, are we coming up on the, the 20th anniversary of the Matrix? And so this Matrix concept record uh that i started working on was 10 years ago because i was going to do it for the 10 year anniversary of the matrix and uh we actually broke out some of the old uh song files and we're listening to it so i don't know it's as of right now the idea is still dead but um all of these things that i've started i keep them all and i'll come back to them and maybe i'll rework them and reuse them and other things and instead of just abandoning them and and never coming back to them. I'll pick ideas out of them. I do the same thing where I've got, uh, you know, from, uh, went to school as an audio engineer for, you know, however many years ago at this point. And I keep all of the, I've kept all of my multi-track recordings every now and then for whatever reason, I'll fire up pro tools and I'll open up one of these sessions. And obviously, you know, all of my, all of my plugins have lapsed and everything. The only <laughs> yeah. thing that, the only thing that still remains is the recordings and their, you know, how they place within the session. So I, every now and then I will, I'll open up 
uh, an old session, and I'll just start remixing one of these tracks that I've got because I'm oh like, my yeah, God, you me know too. What? Why not? I'll, I'll I'll just start it up. I still would consider in my mind, I would still consider these projects dead. Um, however, you know, it's it still creatively you can go back and say like, oh, I wonder if I could. One of the nice things, I guess, about not uh, being a professional audio engineer anymore on my side is that I can, I can go open up these sessions and ask, you know, or can I improve it? And at this point, with not doing it all of the time, the answer is definitively no. <laughs> but it is a lot of fun to try. Yeah. To just open it up and kind of relive and like open up a guitar track or a drum track and be like, oh, I definitely, I definitely messed that up. But it was one of my favorite parts about this project, whatever it might have been. Do you find uh, that when you go back to those projects, especially with music, I find this, that you're, you're sort of mentally transported sometimes to the the time and place where you recorded it. But more interestingly, kind of that 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 mindset you were in. Like uh, for me, if I'll listen to a, a piece of music or an old recording that I had from God, like 10 years ago. And I listened to it and I'm like, sure, it'll be rough around the edges, especially if it's something I didn't finish. But um, but it kind of gets me back to where how I was approaching it and how, is it, how I was approaching music. It's a little bit like it feels like time traveling into your own younger mind and kind of remembering the stuff that was really important to you or the things you were really trying to, to go after. Do you do you? have anything similar i got a network attached storage in my apartment now or uh so i've been moving everything around and trying to categorize stuff as best i can and i think kind of nerds do this throughout their lives where you leave these breadcrumbs the way i approach this has to have been this way kind of rebuilding the project before you start again or even just like you know to the degree of uh, firing up your PS3 for the first time in a few years and trying to play Fallout New Vegas, and you're like, all right, where, <laughs> where was I? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I think everyone can relate to that feeling of like going back and repurposing yourself. I've also noticed something uh, when going back to old work, whether it's, um, for, for me, if it's a, a piece of fiction I'm working on or... Yeah, now old, I mean, I've been doing iOS development for four years now. I don't know how that's possible, but going back and looking at like old code, listening to old music, there there are things that I abandoned or thought were terrible that I go back in here now, even just with a, f- a few years later, I kind of realize like I, I have a tendency to be really hard on myself when it comes to creative projects that even if I'm I'm just for the most part, making things for myself without any, for, yeah, for the, I guess for the most part, everything I do is just for the act of, of doing it. But there will be things that I just think are ridiculous and, uh, and terrible and that I will never show anyone or ever put out there. And then to come back two years later and I think, what well, if I just worked on it a little bit harder, I mean, it, there's something there. I just, I just gave up too quickly because I got discouraged or I, I was setting such a high bar for myself that I got discouraged that I would never achieve what that thing is. And um, in some cases, you know, I, I just go for it and miss the mark, but it's this spectacular, great 
disaster in its own beautiful way. Like when we were talking about um, when to move on, there are some sometimes like, all right, this is this is not working. I need to move on from this and spend my energy on something else. And then it seems to me like I don't really know. I'm not very good at figuring out on my own whether or not a project is worth pouring more time into and making better until I've had some distance between it. Like I'll go back and, and look at something or listen to something and say like, I really should have pushed that a little bit harder because there's a good idea there. I find that when I'm collaborating with people that helps me like when we were, we were podcasting we did a buttload of episodes. I, if I was doing that on my own, I I wouldn't have. And it's it, when you have a good collaborator and someone who can help tell you like, yeah, this is, this is a thing that's, that's good. Or like, let's keep going for it. It gets better the, the more you do something. Like sometimes I think I'm not, I'm not the best person to gauge whether or not I should abandon something or, or move on with it and, and keep putting more time into it. If you're not talking about something that you professionally or kind of uh, financially depend on, success isn't always something that can continue to drive a project. And I'm going to bring I'm going to bring up a project of yours that had success that I mean at the moment does not continue on. Um, I'm going to talk about the Apple TV app that you developed. Oh yeah. So the Apple TV uh, announced as it can have apps. And so what did you do? You immediately got down and you started working. Yeah, and it was my it was really, it was my first app. It, again, it was something that I wanted to have on my Apple TV. I wanted to have an app that would give me the video feed from the International Space Station. The space station has what they call the um HDEV, the high definition uh, something viewing, <laughs> Earth view, Earth viewing. Earth viewer. They love Earth viewing or viewer, some of those things. Yeah. yeah, they they love their acronyms and initialisms at Apple. Or Apple, NASA, the other NASA. Oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> the other the other entity uh, that has shaped my life. In 2018, as we record this, the image that you get from that, I'm going to say, is far from high def with quotes that you right. would see. However. It's still pretty amazing that you can get live footage from the space station. And as far as I knew at that moment, it was not something that was possible. I was just like, oh, I'm sure it exists and there's footage. But, like, you know, I didn't know that there was something available to the public that would let you see where the, like, what the space station was seeing. And so you tell me that there's this, that you've been working on an app for the Apple TV yeah. Um, so I have to go out if I want to see it. I have to go out and I have to buy the new Apple TV, and I did um, to get into your beta program of how you know the the updates and all of that. But it, the the App Store launches, and and suddenly, uh, yeah, suddenly was... you're the number one paid app in the App Store uh, of the Apple TV. Yeah, and it was <laughs> it was bananas. I had no right. To be the number one app, uh, paid app. It, it, of course, it helped that the Apple TV was brand new, and and I think that my biggest competitor was uh, the Fireplace app, which is still that's <laughs> going great. That's going great. Um, but yeah, it was the this was oh yeah, there was holiday going from 2015 to 2016. That we had just moved back. Yeah, I didn't have a, a a job lined up yet, and so with all of my spare time, I was just building this app, and it 
it just became it came became my job for a couple of months building this thing and it was this great uh combination of this just completely stumbling into uh, a successful project while also simultaneously having no idea what I was doing. So it was, it was great pride and sheer terror kind of in equal parts. Uh, Cause I remember, but my favorite thing about the, this app, the first, ver- well, the first version, uh, it was essentially one button on the center of the screen. You clicked on the button, that video feed fills your whole TV. And it was great. 45 minutes of the earth and 45 minutes of complete black because it was in nighttime <laughs> and the cameras couldn't pick up city lights. So it's not currently on the store, but I, I, it's because of, it's not because I really wanted to take it down. It was, um, I have it. It's just cause it's associated with, it's so dumb. The reason's so dumb. I have this, <laughs> it's part, it, I have it tied up in a different Apple account that I switched things over because I was contracting for, a terrible company that I had I created an LLC. They wouldn't hire me as a contractor to be a developer uh, unless I was my own company. And I had no idea what I was doing, setting that up. And so it's all, I just, I just need to go into that other account, reactivate it with the hundred dollars to Apple so I can get my apps, <laughs> move it back over to my personal account. And then all I have to do is completely rewrite it from scratch because that's one of those things that I go back and I look at that code and I'm like, I, it's nice to have this, this benchmark where I'm definitely quantifiably a better programmer than I was when I wrote that. <laughs> so that app, I pulled it from the app store. Oh God, six months ago, people are still using it and, and still every day using it. I, you know, I actually do know where they are. I have the metrics. It's a lot of them are in Europe. I have a lot of users in the, in the Netherlands uh, for, for some reason. I, I'm not sure why. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's in the back of my head. It keeps every now and then I get this, I'll wake up at three in the morning. Like I need to work on that. I need to make it better. I need to put it back in the store. People are counting on me. Why do I have to sleep? So, so I mean, you've you've had a few projects that have that have developed into apps. You've had um, touching on the being there early, being there first. You had a there was a there was a Baltimore based sticker app for oh, yeah. messages. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought this was a lovely idea. It was it was the whole idea was um, a showcase of music that you had created along with yeah. Im- images as well. So you've you've had all of these different different projects different uh, careers, different lives over the last, you know, 10 years or so. I think there's there's something interesting in this desire to be immersed, and there's something I think we can all share in that. There's a, there's an interview that it really sticks with me uh, that Patton Oswalt did years and years ago, and it's something that's really frustrated me mentally to, I can't get past it, and that's, you know, this may be a problem that I have personally, but... Uh, his interview that he gave, I think, to Wired Magazine, where he's talking about how um, he's bemoaning, and, and he sounds like an old man doing so, bemoaning that if you're into something, everything is accessible at your fingertips, or you can possess all of the things. If you're into uh, The Muppet Show, you can have every moment where a Muppet is on a screen somewhere. It doesn't yeah. mean that you've watched it. But it means that you can own it and you can be a part of that. But until you immerse yourself in that, until you live and breathe uh, whatever it is, whether it's uh, music, app development, 
writing, the Muppets, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, any of this, um, the the Black Cauldron series of books, the Lord of the Rings, all of it, until, you've, until you have actually lived it, all you do is you possess something. But when you immerse yourself in that experience, then suddenly you're, you get it and it clicks. I, there was a kind of a, a pause in my uh, professional life. And so I had, suddenly I had this time in between applying and going on interviews. And you know, there's only kind of so much that you can do in a day before you're mentally like, you know, strained to find more to do where I would sit down for, you know, for some time at just about every day and play some destiny Two, where suddenly, you know, I went from being, you know, kind of not care. I owned the game, but I wasn't really into it. But like suddenly now, now I'm watching YouTube videos of other watching other people play. And, uh, I spend the time to, you know, grinding my second character and all of these throughout the game and all of these things that are possible now, with the time that I can spend to immerse myself, whether it's a good idea that I should be immersing myself in other things or whatever, uh, changes kind of my outlook as to just owning the game. And now it's a matter of kicks around in your head and it becomes part of that creative process that you can have. So, you know, for the thing that I see is all of the, your, all of the things that you're talking that we've been talking about, they've existed throughout all of it and it all kicks around and it all becomes part of your process whether we know it or not you know talking about the the older projects talking about the current projects how you keep kind of everyone and everyone keeps kind of ping-ponging between these few things that kind of define who you are as a you know as as a nerd and as a person in general (laughs) um as you grow um creatively professionally you keep pulling through all of these strings and finding new stuff and incorporating it to become, you know, what the, what our ultimate work to leave and say like, all right, this is done. That's definitely something that's interested me throughout everything is to say, uh, you know, to live something and to, to live and breathe something and to incorporate that into how you move forward with things. It, it's really funny how often the things that I learned as um, a writer going back and refining a piece of writing, how can you say this uh, in the fewest number of words possible? How can you edit and strip away the things that are extraneous that maybe the lessons don't directly apply to programming, but that mindset does when I'm refactoring code, how can I say this in the fewest number of lines where it's still readable and makes sense? How can I make this function read like Hemingway wrote it, you know, (laughs) just like strip out all of the, what are the coding equivalents to adverbs? Make it, yeah, it, 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 it all finds ways to connect. And, and I don't ever really feel like anything is truly abandoned that way. I mean, if, if I, you, you know, like I've, I've started projects that I didn't maybe quote unquote finish, but what the work I did put onto it will, I, I carry that with me into whatever it is that I'm doing next. And whether it's just in the back of my mind or if it directly applies, I can take what I've learned about what works and about how I approach work and how I um, think things through and it all it's all related and it's it's something that um i guess you just learn 
over time of of trying and and flailing and keep trying yeah it's the it's the idea of when you don't have a deadline um when do you decide that something is finished and i think the answer is uh never yeah <laughs> uh that that, yeah. that that work can always live on in different ways um and speaking of deadlines we don't necessarily have one here however let's uh gonna do some uh be respectful of the listener's time oh um, yeah i want to thank you for coming on for the first the first episode of the adult nerd rob it's an honor thank you for uh, inviting me and i can't wait to hear the other episodes this is such a great idea good luck best of luck i'll i'm gonna subscribe as uh soon as you uh is, is it up I know this is the first it's, episode. It ex- it exists. The, the 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 site is up. Um, there's there's some uh, there's some. I mean, by the time links. people hear this, it'll be up. Yeah, it'll be up, and it's but it it should be everywhere that you can that you uh, that you look for podcasts. If people wanna if people wanna find you on the internet, Gavin, how do they find you? Uh, people can find me. I guess mostly. <sighs> <laughs> where can you find let's just say twitter charm city gavin on twitter that's the thing i've been on the longest and most consistently on i don't have a website right now isn't that weird sounds like a project yeah i know that just <laughs> exactly what i was just thinking <laughs> thanks rob now i gotta do that <laughs> but yeah charm at charm city gavin on twitter you can find me there and that's where i'll post links to whatever weird stuff i'm doing um i'm in the and the band i'm working on now we're called sky tigers and we have an instagram sky.tigers we're posting a little bit of music there and uh recording some songs for what will be the first album and the best part about uh having a, a partner working on this is that it will get finished there and we go, right? will put it into the world because uh now i'm accountable that accountability that's that's a whole other podcast we can talk about sometime, but man, Rob, I hope somebody interviews you one time. Maybe we can turn the tables and talk about all of the, uh, cool projects you do because all of the projects left in my wake. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like you, you were the way you were describing me. It's like exactly how I uh, think about you and your projects. You're always doing something cool. And, uh, I would love to, uh, I'd love to uh, one day have the tables turned and hear you talk about all of this. I'll take you up on that one day. So all of this stuff we've discussed today will, of course, be in the show notes available at theadultnerd.com. Um, everything will be, uh, if your podcatcher is of quality, all the links may be in there as well. Um, and I want to thank everyone for getting this far and listening. If for some reason you have listened to the entire interview and you've gotten to the end and you haven't already subscribed uh well do so it's available pretty much wherever you want what am i supposed to say what's the way to say rate review and subscribe so do all those things and it'll we'll we'll all we'll all go forward together on this project and we'll all have a blast of the adult nerd so uh gavin once again thank you rob thank you Oh, sure. Yeah. We So that was the, that was the general worry that the FCC was going to hear us and find the high school and then that would shut down the whole radio program. Oh, you had a high school radio program. Yeah. Yeah, we had a we somehow had uh, inherited a high school one. That is cool. We uh had uh god, if if me and if my friends and I had a radio show or a radio station at our disposal in high school, it would have been 
that's like the only thing we were missing. We were a bunch of theater kids running around the school after hours, getting in trouble, you know, in band, um, you know, just causing mayhem. But the, the teachers all secret, well, the arts teachers all secretly liked us. And yeah, like, they've, uh, <laughs> yeah. they've since moved it, but it used to be in the basement. The, the radio station was in the basement of the school. It was the only thing in the basement, the, the radio station and like the AV department together. So it was uh, like you'd have to go to the end of the hallway, and there was the only thing down that hallway was the radio station. And there was just kind of an old lady who was like a secretary <laughs> that worked there, and then the one teacher, and then occasionally it would fill up with kids. But it was you'd have to go by like the high school period system. So it'd be like four, your show was forty-two minutes long because then the bell rang and you had four minutes to get to your next class. Oh wow! <clears throat> so we this had, was all all during school hours. Yeah, it was all we had. We had um, we had the radio station during the school hours, and then the school the school day would end, and we would turn the broadcaster our like our broadcast off, and another high school would start their broadcast. Um, so they had the like our shows were forty two minutes, their shows were like three hours. They definitely had the better system. Yeah, and it was um, that was the. That was the high school that uh, Judd Apatow went to. So, like the if you've ever heard like the the like him interviewing Jerry Seinfeld on his high school radio station, which he oh, did, yeah, it shared the it shared the frequency, and from uh, from what was it eight a.m. until three p.m. it was WPOB, and then from like three p.m. to like eleven it was like WKWZ. So. <laughs> But it was on the same frequency. It was on the exact same frequency, and we shared. I don't even. I don't even know if we shared a tower, but we we like literally we would be turning off our broadcast, and there would be a radio tuned to the station in the in the um, in the school, and then you would hear WKWZ turn on their broadcast, and they would start their broadcast day. But I assume <laughs> there was like a second or two of just white noise. Yeah, because I mean, how do you you coordinate that so perfectly, especially uh, between high schools? Right, they would have to they would have to have someone listening and ready to flip a switch to turn theirs on. Was there a rivalry between the two high schools about the programming? Did you guys talk about each other on the air? I don't. We I didn't, um, and I don't think that they did because they definitely knew they had. Like there was theirs, theirs was like definitely an after school activity, or ours like we would have like a period during the day that we would once a week that we would do. But um, at the same time, like they definitely had the better setup. There was no question about that. So I don't even think there was a debate. Um, but we had uh, like we had a you know your your show would be on from like. 1246 to whatever 42 minutes it was like chunks of 46 minutes not 45 or hour long or half hour segments so it would be <laughs> this awful time frame listen here every week at 112 p.m on tuesday <laughs> afternoons so and i guess not a lot of your friends would be able to listen in because they're all some of them are probably in other classes Never. They would never be. And the other high school would have people that listened in and people that called. And the only people who would call in were like, they would be like looking for like, they thought they tuned into the radio station. They thought it was like information about the school district. 
And meanwhile, it's like, you know, me and a friend playing Black Sabbath songs. Yeah, I was going to ask, what kind of show did you do? You had, they had a, they had a CD catalog in the station. However, like, you could bring in your own, but that meant like bringing in a stack of like 10 CDs on your radio show day. Oh, yeah. So we had, uh, you know, so it would be, and then you're thinking, like, you think about it, like you're giving like, it's high school, so you're giving a 13 to 17 or 18 year old, like 42 minutes a week to, um, to make a mix every week. <laughs> oh God, this sounds like a dream activity from, for 17 year old Gavin. Right. It was, it was great as like a, as a, as a high schooler. And I'm very thankful that. There are no recordings. Oh, you don't have any? That was going to be my next question. No, it was like pre-stream. It was, we we couldn't like, the idea of streaming wasn't even a thing yet. And then uh, uh, the radio, like the only way to record it would have been on a cassette deck. But because you had the entire, you know, you had half a year, you know, I never really thought to like, oh, we're going to record 26 shows this year and I'll have the tapes and then I'll listen to them and whatever. I was just like, yeah, having fun going on. I had a, <laughs> there was one year where I had a, um, I went on the air with a friend and every week we would have a wrestling show. Like that was the thing oh, we would cool. talk about the news and results and what was happening. I, I did a wrestling radio show in college. Perfect. Yeah. And it was, it was, you know, I think one, we had a caller once and that was it. But we, the only way to, the only way to say you had a caller, the, the, it was the phone number for the radio station. So, uh, you would, you know, the, uh, Mrs. Weinstock would, or no, Weinstock, I forget what her name was. Um, uh, whatever her name was, would like knock on the glass (laughs) And point to the phone, and you'd have to. <laughs> so she was like the the light that was a, usually like in a radio station. If a light blinks, to right, let you yeah. know that there's a a call. Phone call on the air. No, and then and then to patch, you know, because no one ever. It never happened. It was like a you know, you'd have to go into the other. Someone would have to go into the other room to then patch them into the mixing board because the main recording booth and like the production room were two different spots. Oh. <laughs> It wasn't set up for phone calls, but, you know, we had it once and we were like, oh man, there's someone listening. There's one person. That's, yeah, that's a thrill. It must have been a thrill when you're in high school and learning all of this stuff and someone from the outside world reaches in and acknowledges that you're, you're doing a thing. Not only that, but like, it's a little weird because it was, it's an adult. (laughs) Well, yeah, because they're everyone your age is in school, right? (laughs) The only people who could listen who were were uh, part of the school were either on lunch and they had a radio for some reason, or um, super fans. They were home from school (laughs) for being sick or whatever. And so the rest were just adults out in the world. Yep. You kids got a got a radio show? Would you do you playing some Sabbath? Yeah. Hey, uh, I appreciate this conversation about the NWO, but I'd really like to hear Give Me Three Steps by Leonard Skinner. <laughs> Do you have that? Oh, no, I left my CDs at home today, so that's why we're talking the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, because you would have to bring them yeah, to school and, and, and have them with you probably all day. I like I, I like went to, I went through the effort of, because at the time, um, uh, at my parents' house, there was a, 
like a rate there was like a not a radio station a stereo system hooked up to the tv so if i really wanted to i could take the time to record a promo from a raw or a nitro onto a cassette deck nice and then play it on the air because we want to we were going to talk about it that was the that was the real extent of what we could do that's pretty cool so you, you can throw to a clip yeah well let's listen to scott steiner <laughs> say all right i guess we should start this huh yeah or right. we can just start a wrestling podcast i'm kind that of ready true. that is true it, one it, more it, one more podcast two yes. white guys talking about <laughs> wrestling uh, uh.